2: up
3: the little girl Such a tiny thing in this great beating world Well now I got to find out Move just a touch of the hair. She said, Little boy, she played
1: with the bears. I'm gonna
2: take her to the dial. I still. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Perfectly Good Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that is counting down. Every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. Joining me today, where I'm hoping not to burst her little bubble, is <laughs> Sylvan Groth.
0: And hopefully not tear my legs off or anything yes. either. And I am very excited. I dragged a brand new guest that I'm so excited to introduce all of our listeners to. Just to preempt or introduce this, I am. big fan of small music festivals and there's a great one in Keene, new hampshire which i always walk away from totally excited about usually a handful of artists and in the morning i was walking around town and this gentleman walked up to me and said hey you're wearing a john hyatt t-shirt because of course I was. And one thing led to another and it turned into a conversation that I had already starred on my schedule for the Keen Music Fest that I wanted to see this artist. I saw him perform and am already a big fan. I'm really excited that we get to share his music with our listeners. And I really encourage all of you to dig in deep. But beyond that, Our special guest has actually worked at a concert for John Hyatt. So we have got a whole checklist of things that Jesse and I have been talking about, wishing that we could catch a songwriter, a musician, someone who's worked backstage. So excuse me for my enthusiasm, but that's my brand on the podcast. Everybody, including Jesse... Welcome, please. JP Goldman, also known as Hallowed Smoke. And are there other band names that we should be aware of, JP?
1: Hello. The only other project I've got going is this band called Porterfield. They're all mostly based in New York. I'll go over there from Boston and we play shows over there. But mostly my solo works under uh, Hallowed Smoke. And yeah, that's me. Hi. Hello. It's good to see you guys. Did I
0: scare you when you approached me and said, hey, (laughs) hi"?
1: no I I was definitely taken aback for a second because really I was just walking I saw the John Hyatt shirt what did it say I have every single John Hyatt album ever or something ask me about it and I'm just like and I'm in my head I'm like am I gonna am I gonna have the conversation I'm like oh hey I like your John Hyatt shirt and then when you asked me on the podcast I'm like oh okay I've never really been on a podcast before so that's fine I
0: Tried to warn him when he first said, Oh, hi. I said, You don't know the can of worms that you just opened. So if you want to w- back away slowly, you are welcome to. But yes,
2: <laughs> yes, I often talk about that. Where someone, I, I remember I was at a family and someone said, Hey, so you're a big Doctor Who fan, Uncle Jesse. I've never watched. What do you think? I'm like, Okay, are you being polite? Or are you really wanting to know? So I often feel like, so John Hyatt, like you want to be, are you being polite? And then I gave you, or are you really wanting to know I can give you the deep die? Correct?
0: Sure. And and if you
1: approached me with that, I'm not nearly as knowledgeable on John Hyatt as Sylvan is, but I'm a big fan of music and I I always love learning something new when I can.
0: Yeah. Like so going. if we can dig a little bit into your background first, as John defied genre for a while and that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about your music too. So could you tell us about how you would define your own style and is it the kind of music you typically listen to or do you go in different directions?
1: Huh. That's a good question. I the great, the grace note approved version of how I would define my genre, just to put like the buzzwords there would be on the rock singer songwriter indie spectrum, but how I would define it otherwise, it really depends from song to song. The two songs I have under Hollowed Smoke are very radically different, whereas Blind Faith is a mix between the shoegazy prog rock and Don't Shoulder It is a little bit more of a laid back hip hop style beat. Pretty poppy song with a rap feature on it. Yes, Um,
0: I would agree with both of those. And just as a little footnote, Blind Faith is a J.P. Goldman original, but John Hyatt has his own song called Blind Faith going back to, I think, again, before you were born, probably J.P., the early 80s. So. You have given us permission to share that with our audience at the end of this episode, and I encourage everybody to listen, and if you want to make a comparison, sure, but let it stand on its own as a blind faith that does not need to be related to the blind faith that John wrote.
1: Compare away as you like.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) So, JP, where did you grow up?
1: I'm from Naples, Florida, and I lived there pretty much all my life, up till 18 when I moved to uh, Boston to go to Berklee College of Music. And after that, I went through one of those, what the hell am I going to do with my life phases? And I don't know, just ended up getting pretty comfy here. I had other plans to move. They all fell through for various reasons, one including COVID hit when I was looking at Nashville, and I'm like, I'm not going to go south right now. I don't want to go south. I see them all partying over there. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) So I just ended up chilling here, getting a lot closer to some great people, some great musicians and everything in Boston. And it's nice. I feel a lot more at home here.
2: Have you always wanted to make music? Did you always know you had that creative bone?
1: I don't think I embraced it until later like okay. if I were if I was like a much younger kid and you would ask me what I wanted to do I might have answered something like oh marine biologist or astronaut but the music was always there
0: people don't get into Berkeley School of Music without having figured something out about their talent and working really hard before the age of 18.
1: yeah no absolutely like it was really probably around. 12 where I really got into my own taste of music because I was playing tuba in middle school band and I, I really liked my band class and then I had friends we would go after school to play a guitar hero at one of the video game cafes near my school and then one summer we're just like why don't we just learn how to play guitar said, okay awesome do that back then we were probably these goofy kids who just wanted to play guitar to impress girls or something but there, I found the bass. I'm like, what is this four string guitar? And I just started to fall in love with that. And that was the instrument I had gotten into Berkeley with. But more recently, just going the songwriting route and wanting to get a little better at that, expand my horizons, I've been taking up more guitar lessons and focusing on that, just see what I can do so with that. Some
0: kind of basic questions. And again, we are not musicians. So if sure. these are stupid questions, questions feel free to tell me that's completely (laughs) irrelevant sylvan how many chords do you know on guitar
1: how many chords do i know on the guitar (laughs) that's a really hard question to answer Um, okay
0: because john famously said he only knew three and taught himself a fourth at some point so i always found that fascinating that a songwriter can come up with so many combinations from basically three parts. It sounds like you've got a deeper. Well, it's
2: that famous line of what country what is country music? It's three chords in the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. That's really all you need to write a song at the end of the day. You do not need a music college education to go out there and play music. I know plenty of bands who have become way more successful than I have with Little to no education, but they're playing their simple songs and they're playing them damn well. They're committing to them. They're good at it. And at the end of the day, like, it's that passion that's going to draw people to the live shows. Not necessarily you being able to play like a million chords. You want to go see that? Sure. There's an audience for it. But yeah. well,
0: I really could talk about that all day. A couple more songwriting questions, if you'll indulge me. And then we'll ask you about your experience working concerts and specifically anything you remember about the John Hyatt concert. So, lyrics or music first when you write a song?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. I think it really varies on the song. It really varies on the idea. Usually in the world of songwriting, we're taught about this thing called seeds. A seed is the start of an idea, and that can be lyrics or that could be a melody. It could be chords, maybe a riff. Famously, a lot of rock songs started that way. Look at Sweet Child of Mine, that was Slash playing a fingering exercise on his guitar and then Axel pulled out. He's, ooh, ooh, I've got a poem about a girlfriend. And boom, Sweet Child of Mine. For me, more of my songs have probably come music first, then lyrics. Because I think it just feels good having a bed and then working lyrics into it. But I've had to learn as well to just not be afraid of breaking that pattern every now and then. Because just because I have chords doesn't mean it's going to support the lyrics I come up with. Maybe there's something I need to change to support something I'm trying to say. Or maybe there's something in the lyrics that I want to change to better let the music shine. And it's always going to be different and I'll... And If any songwriters are listening to this, try it either way. See what you like better. It might for day to day, time to time.
2: Do you feel like you have a strength, one better than the other, that you're stronger with?
1: Ooh. I think I'm a lot stronger with lyrics right now. Getting My music's definitely been getting better, I would say, as I've been taking more guitar lessons and just... Absorbing more, what I could just call input is different artists, different styles, and getting better at the guitar because at the end of the day, I can have all the ideas I want, but I also need the technique to execute them. So my lyrics are probably what I would call my stronger suit between the two.
3: As
0: someone, go ahead. Sorry. As someone who watched you play guitar, I don't want you to sell yourself short on that too. There's, So much beauty and recorded music, but there is something so special about sitting in front of someone, watching them make the magic of taking this inanimate object and taking this guitar and learn how to talk. I beat you this time to the Springsteen reference, Jesse. There you go. And yeah. I have seen a lot of musicians at various stages and I was really impressed by your playing. And since we won't be able to have a video, I will tell people that there was a is it NPR tiny desk concert out there of your performance? Yeah, that's a tiny
1: desk concert. That was oh yeah, no, I did make a submission, I believe it was last year with blind faith. And that was me playing guitar and I had a little stop box. That was fun.
0: Yes. So people can watch that as well. Okay,
2: we'll include that note. Reason I was asking is I have a real good friend, Tom Zoller, who's an artist. And I've I've told the story multiple times, but I just found it fascinating that it was at Free Comic Book Day. And so all these little kids were coming up saying, oh, I want to be an artist or their parents were saying and he gave them advice. He said, obviously, you're going to take art classes, but take a business class because you're going to have to know accounting you're going to have to figure out what do you charge? What do you do? Are you making any money? Two, take a public speaking course, because it's easy to sit behind your desk and draw, but you're going to have to sell yourself or talk to people about your work. And three, work on what you don't like drawing. He said, it's easy to draw the things you like. Work on things at least an hour a day of things you don't like drawing. He said, for example, I don't like drawing horses. I now do my little pony. <laughs> and you know. And so I think of that right as a musician, right? It'd be easy to okay, I'm just gonna work on lyrics, but no, I'm gonna take the time to stretch those muscles of writing a melody or writing a, a theme and trying to work those kind of muscles to to make me a the same way you do at a gym. To work on these different things so it's fully formed.
1: You hit it right on the nail and that's really good advice. I'm going to have to write that down myself. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, I really liked what you said about drawing the things you don't like because in a way that's really why I took up guitar lessons this late in my life. I took them before but deviated more towards bass back then because that would be more what I was leaning for and so I focused on that but now choosing the songwriter route, wanting to like play shows, sing and play guitar. It's Oh, I got to get better at guitar because I find when I sit down with a guitar to write a song, sometimes I just play the same thing, same ideas, or at least similar structures. And I've gotten better at that. But then as you get better, you also start leaning on the things you get better at. And then you got to grow more and more.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: That's yeah, what I... I- can't say as I've ever heard someone just sitting with a bass and singing a song with that instrument. I'm sure there are people who have, but it's not oh, the norm. Um, yeah.
1: famously, I think the bass player, if not the old bass player, I'm not sure what era they're in. I believe the bass player Skid Row, known to write songs on bass, and then you've got Sting and Geddy Lee. Yeah,
2: yeah. There's I a- I love the idea you're playing bass because often you hear all the stories of it's almost like you, who lost the short straw? Okay, okay, you're going to have to figure out how to play bass, right? Because everyone wants to be lead guitar, rhythm guitar. And I've had a couple of bass players on the podcast that have shared it spoke to me. That for some reason, that instrument, it felt like I was coming home. And I love the idea that you said that too. You went... That you just the instrument was like oh yeah this is what i want to do
1: yeah that's yeah you said it exactly right that's what the bass did for me funny enough though when i started on tuba that was a scenario where no one else wanted to play it because i wanted to play saxophone with all my friends in band but then there was like seven saxophone players or something. And my band teacher is like, you've got to play something else. Everyone already chose before you. And because my last name started with a G and all theirs were sooner in the alphabetical order, they got to pick first. So, Fascinating. Playing tuba. But but then I ended up enjoying that too. That's how I started being able to read bass clef. And I got excited about it. I wanted to practice with all my friends. And I I made first chair in the honor band in seventh grade so that felt good Like, and some stuff can happen like that where you don't like it and then you just become good at it (laughs)
3: yeah hello Pantheon podcast listeners Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them
2: So, Sylvan, why don't you share the story of how you found JP and the experience of watching him? And then I'd love to hear him talk from that perspective as well.
0: As I said, I was really excited about the Keen Music Fest. I've been going to that for many years now, and I always come away with an artist that I'm really excited about. It is a all-volunteer music fest. I believe it's usually around 30 bands before the festival. I do my research. I am such a nerd. I put together a little schedule and sometimes I rate on like a one to 10 scale. Sometimes I just put stars next to the people that I've found their bandcamp pages or Spotify playlists and so forth and want to listen to. And Hollowed Smoke had a nice big star and I was walking along the street and JP, I believe came up to me and said, oh, are you a John Hyatt fan? And I said, oh you have no idea (laughs) (laughs) you better walk away and I said oh are you here for the music or who are you here for and he very shyly said that he was a performer and he had introduced himself by his name so I was like I that isn't on my chart I've done my homework here there's no J.P. Goldman he's oh hello, smoke I was like oh right there big star and I, I shared with J.P. afterward that I do enjoy his recorded music but the set that he did, which was just him and a guitar, really blew me away. I was so impressed. I could totally see you opening for John Hyatt someday. And I, of course, dragged my friends along because I was like, you got to see this guy, clear your calendar. And they were equally impressed. And like, it's a public or it's in a public space. So it's not like a nice quiet auditorium where people give your full attention. Uh, There was a little bit of traffic noise. Uh, My friend got a recording on his iPhone, which I shared with JP, which I thought sounded amazing. I think you should do something with that. And then, yeah, uh, because we were talking he he said, Oh yeah, I worked at a John Hyatt concert before I was like, okay. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Feel free to say no, but if you're free on zoom, We would love to hear about that experience and share your music. So I think now we can kind of transition into the Uh, cliche of John always says the hour and a half that he plays music, he gets for free. It's all the other stuff that he feels he earns his paycheck for JP. If you could talk us through, if you're working at a venue like city winery, What is a a work day like? When do you show up? What are the kind of things you do? And anything else you want to talk about?
1: Typically, your normal work day, let's say you're doing one show, you're contracted for one show. You're usually getting there around 2 p.m. And that's your time to set up the stage. You get an advance for the show. You get a stage plot of what's going on. What is a
0: stage plot? Like a map?
1: So a stage plot, like a map, except for of the stage. So it's basically, there's a physical representation of a stage. And then it's the artist or artist representative responsibility to tell you who's standing where, what are they playing? What do they need to have whatever they're playing amplified through the sound system? Are they playing guitar with an amp? Does that amp need to keep being mic'd? Does, is there an output in the back you take and put in input? So it basically tells you all that. And from that information, you select mics, you select music, mic stands. Um, and that would and you,
0: be from the venue's private collection of that equipment, usually?
1: In City Wineries' case, they have a very extensive selection of mics and cables. So everything I need is right there. It's grateful. If you're freelancing and it's a case where you're the one who has to bring all the equipment, then that's a different story. Like you might need to rent something from somewhere or call in a couple of favors for some friends or spend a hot budget and well typically those engineers get paid a lot more as well for their labor yeah so anyway you set up a stage map everything out how you see it in your head and then the artist shows up and usually you help with the load in um, all their gear and then they get themselves comfortable on stage and they'll see what you did and either they're chill and it's oh perfect great awesome or maybe they're more like all right, moved a couple of things here, there. They might need different orientations and stuff. It just depends on the artist. It depends on how much information they give you and how precise it is.
0: And but you're then, there active during the sound check, I'm guessing.
1: Uh, absolutely, um, active during the sound check. Um, you, unless they bring their own engineer, you're the one doing it, which is about, I would say. 65, 35, 65%. I'm the engineer 35.
0: That's again, I I am a dangerous fan. I try to tend to gratiate myself with the engineer, especially if it's someone that I know has been touring with John nine year Lofkin, who actually ended up being a producer on one of John's albums really got to know me by sight and was always very nice but I could just see in his eyes it's oh no not this lady again (laughs) Um, so was there someone with John's entourage that you coordinated with do you recall I believe believe
1: so So John's case was a special case for me because that day I was scheduled to work a uh, comedy show at least that's what I got in advance and comedy shows are super lax like you're showing up maybe like an hour before doors and setting up one microphone because those comedians probably aren't even showing up till later. But my um, production director at the time uh, reached out to me saying like, like, hey, is there any chance you could come a bit earlier and also help with the load in for John Hyatt? Now I wasn't like the sound engineer, but what I did was I helped them bring all their equipment onto the stage and place it where they want, help them move things around. I don't remember... Any of their engineer names, unfortunately, because that was the era. It was 2022, I guess, it was last year, but I was still a lot for a lot of those bigger names. I'm a head down mentality. Like, I really just do my best to read. You've the got box. enough
0: people like Sylvan showing up and annoying them. You're just there to do your job. I'm
1: there to do my job. But like, in the, what I'm saying about my head down kind of mentality is just I really do my best to stay silent and read the room until. Unless maybe they start cracking jokes at me and stuff. And that's okay. They have senses of humor. John Hyatt's people, I think they were pretty nice from what I remember. I couldn't remember it that clearly to tell okay. you. But yeah. I do remember setting up Sonny Landreth's amps and just being like, oh, Sonny Landreth
3: is not good. <laughs>
0: like, Did you what? get to touch a guitar?
1: Or? I didn't get to touch a guitar. I got to touch his amps though. Really nice vintage tube amps. and he he does something interesting too with at least for that show setup he puts his amps in front of him and facing him so like a stage monitor except just for his guitar and then his engineer's mic that way it's just he doesn't need to absurdly turn up his amp to get volume because usually what happens is you've seen shows before the amps will be behind the artist pointing out to the stage but as another touring soundtrack told me you don't listen to music with your knees. So that's why like a lot of guitar players put their amps on chairs. But what Sonny did is probably the most intuitive thing, at least from a musician standpoint. From an audience standpoint, it might look weird. It's like, why is this guitar amp angled at his face? Like, (laughs) But I digress. That
0: was fascinating. This is exactly why I was so excited to have you join us. No one else that has been on the podcast could tell us a story like that.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I love that. I am curious. I want to go back just a little bit. Sure. As a songwriter and a musician, how did you get the gig? Because there are people who are really good at making music, but they may not be good at the there's software programmers and there's hardware technicians, right? Yeah, You're sure. doing both. How did you get to be good at the hardware and how did that how is what's that origin story?
1: So I'll say it's 50% education, 50% fake it till you make it. A lot of it, but a lot of that 50% where it's fake it till you make it is a big part of it. So I minored in production and engineering at Berkeley. That was more studio oriented, but I wanted to have the technical aspects. I had the skills to record or at least demo my own music and kind of Be able to communicate better with engineers so I'm not just like some clueless musician showing up into a studio being like, make it sound good. So then after Berkeley, like I said, I was in my, what the hell am I going to do with my life era? Hard. There was definitely some depression I faced, but I had a buddy who he was living with uh, someone and working with them. They had a home studio in their house in their basement, and they also went to shows and did live audio captures. So I started working with them because I'm like, Hey man, can you help me? I, I just really need to find something to do. Like I really want to find some work. And you know, he's like, of course. And he really gave me the confidence to try and find it myself. Now where I started doing live audio was at there's a venue called Midway cafe, shout out to Midway cafe in Jamaica Plain over here. And I went to a show one night and I got friendly with Dylan over there. He's the door guy, main sound engineer. And I'm just like, yeah, and you need any other engineers? He's absolutely. Now it wasn't a luxurious gig by any means. There was probably three things, four things in that mixer, the kick drum and the three vocal microphones, because it was loud. There were loud bands. There, really loud rock bands, but really fun bands.
0: Yeah. Um, and I am not familiar with that venue, but Jamaica Plain, it's typically smaller clubs, not like a city winery type size, or was it?
1: Yeah. There's no like major venues, like city winery sized or even like Chevalier sized or whatever in Jamaica Plain. It's really Midway. There's a record store that does shows in their basements. Yeah. It's pretty like quaint as a yeah. neighborhood. Midway Cafe itself is about. Like a hundred cap because it's also a bar and a club. They've got room for people. The console over there is like this Dusty Allen and Heath. <laughs> you could tell it's probably been there since it was open in the '80s. So I did sound there for a while, and I had I ran into a lot of friends through that whose bands were playing there. Not luxurious by any means. I'd get there at seven and end up leaving probably close to three in the morning because I'd also help clean the bar and pick up trash in the bathrooms and stuff. But then one just paying
0: your dues and absorbing.
1: Exactly. You learn a lot even from a job that that doesn't seem like that hard from a sound standpoint. Like you still learn how to talk to people, talk to bands, help them communicate their needs in a very short time period. Because on a band with four or five, oh wow, on a bill with four or five bands, (laughs) there's not a lot of time to do like a full sound check or anything. So you just have to be like, all right, what do you need? What do you have? Go and then you've got the personalities that take forever, but again, you learn
2: how to um
0: I'm getting him breaking uh, up. Are you hearing just a little bit?
2: Yeah. We'll watch it. We may have to yeah, we may have to turn off our video. That happens sometimes just because of bandwidth. But we'll play with it for now. Does the engineering feed the creative songwriting and does the songwriting help do they feed off each other? Do you learn from, are they two separate tasks or does one help you relate more as a songwriter as a performer? And then as a songwriter performer, it helps you when you're working sound for people.
1: So it's not so bipolar as yeah. engineering, songwriting, songwriting, engineering for yeah. me. The songwriting helps my engineering a lot because being a songwriter myself, I recognize certain patterns in song structures. If I have a songwriter on and I don't necessarily know their music at City Winery, um, sometimes I can count bars or recognize when something's a chorus and when something's a verse. And if I'm doing lights, maybe I'll change a look just to create a different feeling for the chorus different feeling for the verse or if it's about to hit a guitar solo I can I've gained an intuition for that and I'll crank the guitar so I think that's where the songwriting helps the sound engineering the sound engineering more than my songwriting I would say helps my performance and just my behavior as a performing artist playing at other venues because I now I have experience to know what the person behind the desk is going through and i can tell when they're good at their job bad at their job but also just like how to talk to them and how to ask for what i want in a way that's not just oh i I need it to sound like a little more warm a little more crisp because as an engineer uh, i listen to artists say that i'm like i'm in my head I'm like, I'm just gonna turn knobs until they say it sounds good. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Those terms really don't mean anything.
1: <laughs> they do. If you could look up so many articles about it, where it's, oh, if a songwriter's saying like they want something warm, they want, they might want like this frequency range boosted or cut. But for me, having to work under pressure, I'm just like, I'm just gonna do things until it doesn't sound good. And if I'm like really desperate, I will Google it. <laughs> But yeah, I would, again, I would say the sound engineering really helps my performance because I know, I I see things professional artists bring to their shows, like their own power strips, their own cables and spare mics, cables and everything. Just so it's, oh, something's going wrong. All right, let's try this. Let's try this. Oh, let's try this. Yeah, that's.
2: No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that. Yeah.
0: I think I just have one more question then as much as I could probably spend two hours at least talking to you JP and we'd love to have you back Anytime. Um, we should probably get to this song yeah yep no problem <laughs> so yeah. my last question is are you paying the bills with the mix of doing the technical stuff and your songwriting or what does that look like and what's your goal that's good
1: that's a really good question I'm mostly paying my bills. I still get some support from my folks and God bless them. I'm able to live the life that I am. I'm working towards being totally independent, but that's still going to take a lot of work between the engineering and the um, songwriting. My real goal is to uh, make something out of my songwriting and my performing. I'm also happy that the job that's paying my bills right now is something like as fulfilling as live sound engineering for me because at least at city winery i get to work with a lot of great artists that and talk to them and sometimes network it's
0: i can imagine yeah that sounds like a great place to be
2: yeah, yeah and i i've had our share of singer songwriters and it's hard to promote music during a pandemic right <laughs> because the gig is you get you get a few songs together, you self-publish a CD, you go to a gig, you play, you hope enough people buy a CD to get you a tank of gas to go to the next gig, rinse and repeat, right? And I love the idea that you've been able to find a creative way to help, right? To do these things. So that's great.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're not building the base in your town. So right now my focus is more to get this album out and then get enough of an audience in Boston where I feel comfortable. Maybe now I can take this on the road or at least further okay.
2: out. Anyway, Good. All right. So Jesse,
0: gonna... when he's ready to tour Dallas yes, and he pitch yes, ab- up?
2: Absolutely. And uh, at the end of the podcast, we're going to tell how to find your music, how to reach you and we'll help promote the music, but Before that, we've got a song to discuss. So, Sylvan, do you want to give us the basic facts?
0: I would love to give just the facts on our song, Doll Hospital. This is the first song that we have discussed from the album, All of a Sudden, which was actually the one album that was out of print for quite a while when albums were physical things that we found. I actually got my first copy of All of a Sudden. It was a radio stations promo copy on vinyl and it was released in 1982 I did quite a bit of digging today trying to find the exact date all I can tell is that it was from the beginning of 1982 because I did find a review that was dated June 16th 1982 it was a co-write the credits are i would which is isabella wood john's second wife and this is actually the second song that we've uh talked about that is a co-write from her and disclaimer that we are going to talk about this they were songwriters but they are not the subject of the song they created a fiction that we're going to be discussing today It was recorded at Power Station, New York City, with additional recording in London, part of the uh, production. Typically, when people talk about this album, it is very polarized. People say that Visconti totally ruined John Hyatt. Some people say they pushed him in a different direction. Everyone loves to say, oh, it was a complete failure because reasons – It was the first album that John released on Geffen Records, and John had a quote that said that Geffen was the golden boy. He was the one who was taking artists from obscurity into superstardom. They were all going to be David Bowie someday.
3: Mm. Obviously,
0: that is not how it happened. The musicians on this album are John Hyatt on guitar and vocals, Jesse Harms on keyboards and background vocals, which I'm sure we'll get into the keyboards versus the sly guitar on a version that is available online with the goners backing John, James Rolleston on bass and background vocals, and Daryl Verduzco on drums and background vocals. And as always, I am very sorry if I mispronounce anything, but I am just going on what I can find in print. Because of the title, I wanted to do a little bit of research. I'm not quite sure if there was ever officially a Barbie hospital, but the first car that Barbie had was Austin Healey in 1962. And then the American car that she first had was a Corvette, which we'll hear in the lyrics here. And it wasn't until the 2000s when she got a Ferrari, which... We will get to in about five years when we talk about Wreck of the Barbie Ferrari. And I think we all know that right now the Barbie movie is still a very hot topic of conversation. So I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit. And yeah, I think that covers just the facts. There is, of course, some interesting discussion about the creation of this album in mike elliott's book but since this is an episode where we have a guest and we're running a little bit long i will say go read mike elliott's book you people and
2: and i am shocked that i was because i am never able to tell sylvan anything and she had not known that ricky nelson did a version of this song, Doll Hospital. It actually is a release. It was on, he has actually done two or three. I remember ecstatic when he was on some TV show, Ricky Nelson, he says, yeah, this is a great song by John Hyatt, it hasn't happened yet. And I was like, did Ricky Nelson just say John Hyatt's name on TV? So yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and
0: I, of course, did my searching for cover versions and didn't come up with that. I don't know why, Yeah, but thank so, you.
2: Yeah, Yeah, so very nice. All right, we're gonna come back. We're going to break down the song. We're going to visit. So give us just a minute, listen to these ads, and we'll be back. Hey, folks. Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report.
3: And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite.
2: We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250.
3: That's a whole lot of scary guys, Skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag.
2: All right, and we're back. We're here to talk about Doll Hospital. So quick thoughts, JP. Had you spent a lot of time with this song before? You had shared that John Hyatt is someone that you have done a mediocre dive on. Had you heard this song before?
1: I had never heard this song before, and I've definitely never heard this album before. But it it took me a couple listens to really get it in the context of John Hyatt do you want me to dive further now or do you want to save that for later
2: okay hey you're on a roll go for it
1: okay so first i listened to it i'm like okay it's like a blues song he's making some funny metaphors about barbie and little kind of some sexual undertones but in a funny way like it reminded me a lot of a randy newman song nice pull yeah Yeah, that's a
2: really nice pull yeah
1: Honestly, so many people compared John Hyatt to Elvis Costello in the day. I'm like, really? He sounds more like Randy Newman to me. But I think it was all the flatback <laughs> reverb they used after um, his first two albums. Yeah, so I, that was my first listen of it. Just that, like, individually. I'm like, okay. But then I'm like, all right, like, how did this song come to be? And, like, how the song came to be, I wanted to look up how the album came to be. But there, if you're, like, just looking up the album online... There's not that much information in like a lot of the major sources they're just like it's his what was this his fifth album fourth fourth album it was his fourth studio album geffen records blah 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 tony visconti and yeah not much more than that it was when i found the john hyatt archives which has the uh, geffen biography of John Hyatt during this era where I learned a lot more, this was another shot at mainstream success for him because I guess his, fir- his first two albums were very highly acclaimed amongst songwriters and critics, but not like commercially successful, which I found really interesting. Like he seemed to be a musician's musician. So when he talked about Tony Visconti, the quote they took from John Hyatt was something like, Tony Visconti is the first, like, big-time record producer I've ever worked with, and he was really excited about that. He knew exactly what he was doing. And, yeah, and I think I agree with you in that this album is particularly polarizing in the context of John Hyatt's career up till then, because it's a very clean album. Just everything is very bright and crisp. Uh Uh-huh. And it's it's funny, because Tony Visconti's credited in on a bunch of bowie albums as well and i listened to the first track and the way they layer his uh voice for some harmonies that is david bowie right there yeah. um and they also mentioned that this album was like a big breakaway for him being the new elvis costello not really still a couple of songs in there that sounded a lot like elvis costello
0: Yeah, I feel grateful that, JP, you won't have to suffer the indignity of trying to be pigeonholed the way rock journalists tried to pigeonhole people in this era, the 80s. And John had to struggle with, I think, up through the 2000s, that everyone had to be the new X. Yes. Or you had to be an alternative to Y. And there was no such thing as originality. You had to fit in whatever hole that whatever I, music journalist thought you should be in.
1: I still think there's a little bit of that, maybe not so much from the journalists, but a lot from just like fans, especially if you're trying to pitch yourself to a playlist or something, because at the end of the day, let's say you're in an elevator with someone for two minutes, minutes—the classic elevator pitch, not even two minutes, one. How right, do you sell yourself? It's, oh, like I, I listened to a lot of The National or Jeff Buckley or something. Like you're just quickly digging for those comparisons. So I think it's natural for people to make those comparisons when they're listening to something new and, and maybe they won't come up with them, but that's what, that's just what the mind does. It has a funny way of comparing. So I don't think I appreciate you saying that, but I think also like we have not seen the era end of the era of comparison, but yeah, John Hyatt faced a lot of that from what I could tell, like everyone was trying to compare him to Elvis Costello, which I think is dumb, but I get
0: it.
2: Yeah. I love you for
0: saying that. I really do.
2: Yeah. And I agree. There's a difference between being the new person and having a a elevator pitch that can explain, Okay, to get your mindset. I I think back of Bruce in an interview once said I was the new Dylan. I was the new Dylan. Dylan was only 33 at the time. Why did we need a new
0: Dylan? Right. (laughs)
2: Uh, and it's so it is, right, the idea that doing that. Sylvan, how about you? Quick thoughts on the song.
0: Um, it, it, It's so funny thinking of it in terms of an era to me, because I feel that they were really going for a kind of throwback feeling, which is funny. Now, 40 years ahead, thinking that they were maybe trying to make a sound 30 years before the time and Mm. that it it all just comes back around this kind of cycle of I want to call it a rockabilly maybe there's a different kind of genre but yeah I, I and I can't wait to get into the lyrics because they are very fun I remember when I finally got my hands on all of a sudden this song like just it really struck me and it it's I was thinking as we were getting ready to discuss, and of course I'm going to have to rate, is this a novelty song or is it something else? I am not sure because it would be easy, I think, to call it that, but I think it's something better than what the label novelty song usually implies.
2: Yeah, I, I well said, and I'm looking forward to going through the lyrics at all as well. I remember, um, and JP, just to catch up, summary my wife I started dating Linda in 1980 and she is the one who introduced me to John Hyatt because of a good friend of hers and so I remember buying this new for her right and I didn't click this did not click to me it wasn't until Riding with the King was the first John Hyatt album that kind of oh I get why people like this i like this album though i do remember loving doll hospital i i just love everything about the song and and as i was studying it today and i'm looking forward to going to the lyrics is there a dark undertone in this that could be about uh domestic abuse versus just and not the fun sid and toy story having fun with his toys but Uh. something a little bit deeper yeah let's get into the lyrics sylvan you want to start us off
0: i would be happy to lots of little pieces make up a little girl such a tiny thing in this great big world now i've got to find out what's cracking up my little buttercup i got to take her to the doll hospital As you were saying, Jesse, is it a dark undertone? Is there irony? How much of this is metaphor? How much of it is uh, a cute nickname for your lover? And what's going on that she needs to get some work done?
2: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. JP, any thoughts?
0: So
1: I don't know that much about John High and Isabella Woods' relationship at this time. But what I do know about how the song came to be was, and, and apparently, I, like you said, there was another co-write with Isabella Wood. I don't know how much of the lyric writing Isabella Wood did. I think the way John puts it is that Isabella gave her the him the idea of the name of the song. But the way he talks about it, in a direct quote from the Geffen biography, he says he wrote the song in 20 minutes.
0: It's hard to imagine that she was really inserting a lot in those 20. Minutes. I don't
1: know yeah, if exactly. there was yeah. like some ab- yeah. abuse undertones or if this was just supposed to be some silly, cute song he's writing for his wife. Just, oh, you want to write something about a doll hospital? Here's, oh, my doll's broken, but also I'm sexually satisfying the doll. It's It's funny. <laughs> It's like I can't tell whether he's like trying to be like sexy in the song or if it's like kind of Randy Newman silly where it's like the, the sexual undertones are definitely there, but like in a very silly and ironic way. Yeah.
2: Now I've got to find out what's cracking up my little buttercup. Cracking up as in joking, laughing, what it, a lot of little pieces make up this little girl. And is what are things upsetting or worrying or or you can go to a darker end where Is she being hurt? Is there something? And then with the doll hospital, right? you reinforce it could be both. I'm going to go to the second verse, and then we'll talk some more. Hopefully, I got the verse. I bought her a dollhouse and a Corvette too. She got everything Barbie got, I'm telling you. But every time I make a move just to touch her hair, she says little boys should play with teddy bears. I'm going to take her to the doll hospital. Mm -hmm. That is a dark lyric.
1: Yeah, that's that. That's a little...
2: <laughs> yeah, because little boys should play with their teddy bears, and then I'm going to take her to the doll hospital. Whether you mean it or not, it's cause and effect. I wanted to touch her hair. No, you should not play with your dolls. Now I'm going to take her to the doll hospital. Yeah, that's true. I so mean, am I... I overthinking this, Sylvan? Oh, <laughs>
0: no. And I never did take... A- feminist agenda in college so I'm not the best to speak about this but there's a lot going on in here and first of all there's the idea that I'm going to win my lover's affection by giving her material objects and Barbie represents the materialism that she's got everything the yes fancy house the Malibu blah 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 blah. Um, and the idea that would somehow earn him A uh, place in her heart or in her bed, in her body, or so forth. And then the fact that she rejects him in that way. And the next line being, I got to take her to the doll hospital. I got to fix her because she's not responding to me in the way that she's supposed to. And you could think about that on a romantic level. You could think about that on just a consumerism level that. She's got everything. She's got all the fancy stuff, but she's not happy. She's not opening up. She's not warm and affectionate. What's wrong with this picture?
2: Yeah. So I I feel a little bit better (laughs) that maybe he doesn't have to take her to the hospital because he's hurt her. He Mm -hmm. has to go for an adjustment. I've got her to take her to the doll hospital so that she will like me that she's got to do an adjustment. Which one is
0: darker that that he gave her a physical injury because he was angry or that he's going to commit her to change her mind about how she works.
2: Either way, dark, go ahead, JP.
1: I was saying at least, I think it gets qualified a bit in the verse after that, all in love is fair, but it's the wear and tear and the words left unspoken that leaves hearts broken, but I never tore your legs off or threw you on the floor. Now, I know baby cries a lot, but please don't cry no more, which... Definitely qualifies, but at least if we're going in a direct linear order of a storyline narration here, that the, the problem is an emotional one, not necessarily a physical one. Yes.
2: Yeah, and it is a great chorus. I think it's very catchy. I think, oh yeah, baby, you're gonna be all right. I'm gonna take you to the doll hospital, and I love the guitar solo on this. Yeah. I, I put i I put in my notes guitar solo exclamation point. They are having fun with that. Don't you guys agree? Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And that's actually one thing I really liked about reading about this album, what I really liked about Tony Visconti. So, apparently, John wanted to bring another guitar player onto this album. He was hanging around the observatory, had a session player on it, and then he had a couple of guests on Slugshot. Yeah. But this album, he wanted to bring someone on. So, Tony Visconti's, no, we want to let's push your boundaries on guitar. Granted, at this point, he had already been the rhythm guitar player in Ry Cooder's band and right. was like pretty well like revered for that. But I think, especially listening to Dahl Hospital, and I started even like learning a little bit of it. Obviously, I'm not going to play it over Zoom audio, but he's a solid rhythm guitar player and lead player. That's all him playing that solo.
0: Oh. I'm so excited we have a musician to talk this way. <laughs> Thank you, JP. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah,
2: I, I think... Go ahead. I'm right there with you, Sylvan.
0: I was going to ask from a technical standpoint that All in Love is Fair, that verse, w- would that technically be considered a bridge or?
1: All in Love
0: what is
2: did Fair. You
1: think?
0: After Musical. the solo,
2: the where he does the verse, well, All in Love is Fair, but it's the wear and tear.
0: It's a different tempo and a different melody than the, the first verse and then the last verse, but I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't have the section that happens right yeah. there for in internalized. But yeah, typically, if it's a different melody, especially in a blues song, yeah. where there's typically not really that much harmonic variation, yeah, you could consider something like that a bridge, especially when the next one, uh, when we played Doctor, must have made a mess. That's back to the verse.
2: Yeah.
0: And so I want- think my favorite lyric in the whole song is actually words left unspoken that leave hearts broken. Yeah, there's a lot of rating at a certain level and then maybe it goes down a bit and then maybe it goes up a bit. That lyric definitely pushes the rating up a a teeny bit because I'm always looking for John to tell me something about humans and how we relate to each other and what our minds and hearts are all about. JP,
2: you want to read the next verse where when we play doctor?
1: When we play doctor, I must have made a mess, but I fixed her little wagon up. Good, I guess. She said Ken never made her heartbeats, but he lacked that certain something, as we all know. Now I burst her little bubble, her mind's about to go. I gotta get her to the doll hospital. So reading this again in the context of what we've been talking about with this like emotional damage happening, I, I kind of see the context here a little bit. It feels like now it's he's talking about, he's pl- they're playing doctor, they're trying to fix each other, their relationship. So I fixed her little wagon up good. I'm trying to act all confident. And then Ken never made her heartbeat. So it sounds like maybe he's talking about maybe her for, former relationship and having that comparative, jealous mindset. And But she's saying, oh, Ken never made her heartbeat like the way I that you do. Something like that. Because <laughs> yeah. he lacked something, as we all know, which
2: is you know. a funny line yes yeah. it's,
1: it's really funny I, because it's it feels like really on the nose when he says it but it can be ambiguous within the context of yes it is thing. for me the first thing i heard is oh he's probably talking about penis <laughs> but
2: yeah uh yeah i have thought of that too with a with the barbie movie but it could very easy read that you could hear in another a movie a tv show a song that you want just some mindless Barbie. You don't want someone with real substance. You don't want someone that has real, real women have curves. You could say the same thing, right? You just want a Ken Barbie doll, right? You don't want somebody with flaws or issues or baggage. You just want a Ken. And so to say this, because this means I feel like it makes me move a little bit less toward physical violence than more toward they're trying to figure this out we played doctor there that you have the con the little kids playing doctor right mm-hmm. with so you have a little bit of the sexual undertones but also fixing her little wagon up good he he's making her heartbeat that all the boys you've turned away right from like on thunder road and But now he's burst her bubble, she's hurting, and I got to get her to the doll hospital. I've got to get this where I can fix her and maybe fix both of us. Sylvan.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. And it's certainly a lot more comforting to think of it as a psychological thing and that maybe we can even extend the benefit of the doubt that he knows in order to fix her, he needs to fix himself and they got to get to the hospital together yeah i would often blush at this verse and i was blushing a little bit with jp reading it yeah but (laughs) much as our society tries to avoid thinking of it that way it, it is all tied together our status our sexual beings our relationships and so forth and you know if things aren't working if it's not making your heart beat then there's probably a larger problem and you do have to address it. Yeah, So, I absolutely.
2: Yeah. We close it off with, baby, you'll be all right. I'm going to take you to the doll hospital tonight. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, baby, you look a fright. <laughs> I'm going to take you to the doll hospital, which is a nice little twist at the end. I think we go back to your question. Is this a funny little catch song? That's the Wreck of the Barbie Fitzgerald Ferrari is several albums coming, but I'm taking it to the doll hospital, right? You could see the Barbies and the G.I. Joes and having a little fun with this, right?
0: Yeah. Is it just a funny song or is it something a little bit more than that? And as John himself would say, it's all about what you hear. And I think anyone could hear something different and it it might even depend on the day that sometimes I hear this and I just want to ball my eyes out, honestly, because I think of the fact that he and Isabella wrote this together and how things ended up and, or sometimes it's just like they were having fun. They were a young couple playing around and joking with each other. And what's more lovely than that?
1: yeah i think like even as dark as the lyrical content is taken out of context of the song i feel if this is any degree autobiographical of a song for john hyatt and isabella's relationship at the time i feel like if i was looking at this from the outside this could be speculation this might be like something that a fight that happened between them and then Probably got resolved. It probably got resolved if he wrote a song in 20 minutes about yeah. a doll hospital. So he's probably just tr- him trying to make fun out of something not necessarily that fun. And I think, again, I the biggest comparison I make of this is Randy Newman. He's got yeah. a very dark with sense of humor and he's got some dark themes in his lyrics, but then also some dark ways of expressing really stupid shit.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So... If I had to vote, I would say that it's both, right? Like I mm-hmm. would get being John and at this point in his career, he now is, as you said, I guess this is his fourth release,
0: yeah. Yes, I right? Favorite. So right.
2: he's got three other albums down. He's had hours of playing music and writing. And so I, I think as he works on his craft, right? I It can be both. I can do a little bit of fun and have that. I certainly think that in the future, he's he would be better at that, having that dual tone. But none of us wants to be judged by things we necessarily did early on our career. Right, JP? We each, as artists, we want to grow. My first few podcasts, not the best. So yeah, I, I think it... Yeah, any other final thoughts, JP, before we get to ratings? Yeah,
1: first of all, this I did just look. It is actually the fifth because Two Bit Monsters. Just going to correct That's that. That's
2: right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. And, um,
1: but, okay. Other than that, sorry. Again, I think it took me a couple of listens to really get the song outside of the lyrical analysis because first I listened to it just by itself, but then I listened to it more in the context of the album. This is a song that is in his wheelhouse. Like, When I look at the music that John Hyatt really loves writing, even just looking at his first album, his last, the most recent album with Jerry Douglas, Side by Side, they're both loose blues albums. He loves that blues feel. He loves that kind of honky-tonk, high-energy honky-tonk. Like even, Sylvan, you sent that live video in one of your posts of him playing with the Goners with Sonny Landreth. It's like he was having so much fun playing that on stage and it's just really interesting looking at that song in the context of this album because the rest of it was very experimental especially it was 82 so a lo- there was a lot of bands experimenting with synth- synthesizers you could go back and listen to like signals by rush you could listen to tom petty at the time even what elvis costello did later i like, think they were all or uh, warren zeevon they were all experimenting with these synth sounds this digital recording like this brighter age of things and some of them landed probably some of them it's like what happened especially in rush for me i'm a huge rush fan it's a
0: hit and a (laughs) miss
1: like hit and miss and i think there's some hits on this album i think there's some songs where it sounds like he's trying too hard to get with the times him and Sconti both but this song feels more like Fun. like he's loving every bit of this you know from the rhythm he's playing to the solo to just the whole hoochie coochie rockabilly feel I don't need the bright upright piano on it with the slapback reverb that might not have been necessary for this especially I'm very biased hearing it with Sonny Landreth on it <laughs> I love Sonny Landreth but that's my final th- thought for the song that feels more like a John Hyatt song in the context of what that album yeah. is
0: and and saying that you prefer the Sunny Landreth version is definitely not going to be a hot take on the perfectly good podcast. So you're no. <laughs> going to get plenty yeah. of support on that.
2: We no. absolutely will. Yeah, and I I so glad you brought this up. This is a fun song to hear. Like today I was as I'm listening to it I'm I'm tapping my fingers I'm doing this is a fun song. Uh musically and okay. so absolutely. Yeah, I love that. How about you, Sylvan? Any final thoughts?
0: I think I have said all I have to say about Doll Hospital. Is it all right if I review our rating scale for our guests, Jesse?
2: Absolutely, please.
0: Okay. Just so you know, JP, our goal as we go through the entire John Hyatt catalog is to have some that are one star and some that are five it has to work that way we are rating on a john hyatt scale not a scale if we're comparing every song that was ever written or ever produced so a one star song is it's good because it's hyatt but maybe every once in a while you skip it a two star song is a good solid song but maybe not when you compare it to others A three-star song is a song that you would put up against anything that's popular today or of its time, because it proves that John Hyatt is one of the best singer-songwriters around. A four-star is a classic. Everything is quality, and you want to listen again and again. And the five-star is the best of the best, songs that you just can't stop listening to or talking about to the point that you probably annoy some people. So that, that is our scale and Jesse, did you say you were going first this time or am I going first?
2: We usually let our guests go first, but I think I, I don't want to put them under that pressure. So I will go first. I I am tempted just because of us having a special guest and getting to talk about it and that guitar solo to to give it a four, but I'm not. I'm gonna stick it with a three. Now we have a little bit of controversy, JP. I embrace the 0.5s. Sylvan says yeah. no. that it's It is a five-point five point scale, scale, not a
0: 10-point scale. Yes, Jesse six, likes to cheat. Yes,
2: but I am going to give this a solid three. I think that if someone told me that it was a four-star song for them, I would embrace it and understand their joy. If someone said, that's just a two because he doesn't quite hit it. I also would understand that. But uh, to me, I think it's a solid three. It certainly is not a classic, but when you compare it to what others, I think it holds its own and certainly something that I enjoy listening to.
0: Fair enough. My brother and Hyatt. yes, there are times that I might have gone as high as you. There were times that I was actually thinking this is a one star. Because have I ever skipped over this while I was listening to John Hyatt on Shuffle? Absolutely. Because sometimes I'm just not in the mood for everything that this song entails. However, that version that we found of him playing it with the goners, Lancet, I, I, I can't relate it to the bottom of the pile. So I'm going to go with two. It's a okay. good, solid song. It There's nothing lacking in it. It's just... If you compare it to other things in the catalog, you can't quite hold it up to even My Edge of the Razor or a song like that that might come up later. Okay.
2: All right. There you go. It's you. It's up to you. (laughs) What are your thoughts?
1: So I definitely agree with Sylvan in that. I think after hearing the live version of it, I enjoyed the studio version more. Like I was able to ignore the fact that it's not like the most memorable song of his that I've ever heard in my life. But it's a very fun one. And I think after analyzing the lyrics with you guys today, like, it's interest. it's interesting, because there are a lot of interpretations of that. I was first tempted to give it a two. Because once you said the rating scales, yeah, this isn't one of his most memorable songs ever. But I'm going to give it a three. Because I think if anyone does find this song somehow, and looks just at different elements of it i think there's so there's so much to take from it even the most simple sounding songs can give you so much information as a hiring musician or songwriter
0: and i think we have to wait jp's rating because he knows some stuff that we don't, Jesse, and thank you so much for everything that you brought th- to this discussion. I'm mean, sticking to my guns because I have a reputation to withhold. Yes. Yeah. I see the point of a three.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I will tell you, this is, thank you so much for joining us. And, and I said the same thing, right? I can understand someone a two. I can understand someone a four, uh, because it just, there's a lot of going on there. So thank you. Um, this was so much fun. You're welcome anytime, anytime you want to join us. So if someone wants to reach you, how can they and how can they hear your music? We are going to close out with one of your songs that you're nice enough to let us. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, you can find me. I've mainly been posting information about my shows on um, Instagram. You can find me at instagram.com slash period smoke. I do put some stuff on Songkick every now and then for show dates. If you want to listen to my music, it's pretty much streaming anywhere where you can stream music, Spotify, your Spotify's of the world, your titles, your Deezers. I do have the two singles I have out as Hollowed Smoke out on Bandcamp as well, if that's preferred for you. And then just find me on the road or in Boston.
0: Very nice. And- definitely do if you have that opportunity i saw him in Keene, new hampshire and i am definitely anytime you've got a show within I, i'm gonna even go i'm gonna give you my john hyatt radius jp that john. four hours and i'm there that's, I can't. I
1: that's a big honor that's a hell of a drive
2: <laughs> i appreciate it all right and sylvan if someone wants to reach you
0: they can find me on Facebook, where I'm often lurking on the John Hyatt fan page as Sylvan Groth. They can find our Perfectly Good podcast page. We also have a website where they can look at the full song list and decide if they'd like to join us, like JP. Thank you also, JP, for breaking the ice that you don't have to have a particular connection to a song or be an expert on the song or anything like that. Just come because you want to talk John mm-hmm. Hyatt and uh, look at where the schedule lands and i am sylvan green eyes on twitter
2: i am at jesse jackson dfw on twitter um thank you for checking us out we'd love to hear your thoughts uh on the songs as sylvan said check out the uh document and see if there's a song in the future that you want to join and i echo that maybe it's a song you don't know a lot about but As JP said, he had a lot of fun just diving into this song and then exploring the album. So I urge you to do that. JP, this was a blast. I hope you had fun.
1: I did have a good time. Thank you so much for having me here. It was a good chance to listen to some good music and talk about it with people, you know? part
0: is to come because now we can introduce your song to our listeners. We're going to get all sorts of cool points. Absolutely. Um,
2: So we're going to end with, have a little faith.
0: Have a little faith and uh, blind faith. Go Ooh, ahead. Hold on. How about I throw the lyrics into chat so we can take turns? Is that all right?
2: All right. Yeah, that sounds good.
0: Cool. Okay. Sure. So let me grab that. I know I have a tab open. Sorry. That's all right. We'll see if this actually ends up in there.
2: Yeah. JV gets to see how the sausage is made.
0: Yes. Oh. <laughs> I did check the website that we grabbed them from that I'm not seeing any errors. So sometimes that comes up too. Okay.
1: Yeah. My my rule of thumb for lyrics is just don't get the don't get the first thing on Google, which is like the Google transcription of it. I just have a feeling it's done by an AI because I've just seen yeah. mistakes famous songs and it looks really dumb when you're reading that at a gig.
0: Yeah. All right. Absolutely. I, copying. Oh, your message is too long. Oh, for heaven's sakes sorry guys
1: That's no, okay i've got yeah. it mean, if you're worried about me i got a tab open over here as well
0: okay yeah then if you've got it then i, I guess what i'll say all, Never all mind.
2: right and if i have it wrong you'll correct me as you always do
0: I
3: <laughs> it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football